Welcome back to Check Displeased. This is a podcast where we are reading through every single strip in the hockey webcomic Check Please, and we're breaking it down on both a strip-by-strip and an overarching narrative basis. Today, we're going to be looking at the third Hockey Shit with Ransom and Holster comic. This one's about nicknames. It originally posted on September 5th, 2013, and there's no blog post for the Hockey Shit comics, so uh, don't even worry about it. I'm Secret OMG, and who am I joined by today? I'm Tomato. What a beautiful introduction. I feel like you really nailed it. I'm trying. I'm trying. Gotta get there. Hey, Tomato. What's up? Not that much. I just spent an hour thinking about Check Please AU ideas, and now I'm trying to get back into a world where Biddy isn't routinely leaving Jack on a fucking machine for four hours at a time. So let me try to like get back into another another vein. We return to hockey shit with Ransom and Holster, this time with nicknames, which are a noun. The noble titles hockey bros give to other hockey bros representing trust and brotherhood. A hockey player learns a teammate's first name from his gravestone. We open with Ransom and Holster after winking at the camera, explaining that nicknames are as much a part of hockey as playoff beards, hard hits, and crippling unpopularity in the U.S. And we break the fourth wall with Holster saying that you too can have your very own hockey nickname by the end of the comic. Flash to Ransom, suddenly in a very handsome sweater vest, saying that nicknames were invented in 1944 when drunk Canadian scientists derived a revolutionary formula for name fission. And then we flash to Nick and Jean-Claude, who we have seen, uh, we will see again, but this is our first introduction to Nick and Jean-Claude as Canadian scientists, with a great Nazi joke, so that's fun. There are rules for getting your average hockey name, not every hockey name, but your average hockey name. One, take a syllable from your last or first name. Two, add one of the following, I-E, Y, S-Y, Z-Y, E-R, or S. Three, Swassum, you're now the proud owner of a totally sick hockey nickname. It's so easy, an idiot can do it. An idiot like you. Uh, And there's a little note saying, depending on the syllables in your name and the off chance your name will produce a noun, results may vary from epically legendary to Patsy. We then get a kind of breakdown of the main characters of the comic thus far and their nicknames. Burkholz becomes Holster. Oloransi becomes Ransom, an exception to the rule. Biddle becomes Biddy. Question mark, question mark, question mark becomes Shitty. Long story, says either Ransom or Holster. Um, Shitty saying, actually, it's not that long. A fun joke since we don't find out the origin of this nickname until the very end. And then it's not a long story. It's a stupid story, but I guess we'll get to that some other time. Uh, And then we get to Jack, who doesn't get one because he's lame. I'm not sure if he's looking through the fourth wall or he just has sort of a thousand yard stare because of his pupils. But he says, wait, are you guys filming something in here? And then we get to the final panel where there's a basketball court kind of in the background saying warning do not try this in other sports ransom says other athletes may view the practice of nicknaming teammates as quote cutesy or quote uncool or quote some fucking punk ass pussy bullshit holster says rancy poo is right if you try this in another sport you may just get punched in the face throat and or solar plexus and then there's like a kobe bryant joke i think so what's your hockey nickname oh man well my last name if we go by screen names, is Greens, because my name is Tomato Greens. So presumably Greens is the last part, right? And I think that means Greensy? Greenser? I like Greensy better. I don't love Greenser. So I guess Greensy, which I don't feel good about, by the way. I'm not thrilled about that as a nickname. 
there's a D man whose name, whose last name is actually green, Mike green. And I looked him up to see if he has a nickname and he does, but it's game over green. And it was for like a short period when he was doing really well as a D man, he was like, making some goals. That didn't seem like it would apply to me. So I guess Greensy. Well, wait a moment. How do you feel about Greeno? Oh, Greeno. I like Greeno better than Greensy or Greener. Greeno, Greenser, Greenie, the Green Machine. I feel like this is easier to do with my real life last name because though I don't play hockey, a big thing when I was in high school was abbreviating everything, including people's names. It was very, it was very easy to just call somebody like, you know, the first syllable of their last name plus S or something. So I feel like that's pretty straightforward. My handle is secret OMG. And I don't think OMG is like a last name. Some people call me S-E-K, like sec or whatever, but I don't know what that sounds like because people on the internet are always typing. Seeker? Seekser? What about Ritzy? I don't like it, but it does seem like a hockey nickname. I I just don't think this name. I mean, I'd love to just go by Secret. I feel like that itself is a nickname. Yeah, I mean, I would. I don't want anyone to call me any of the variations that we came up with. <laughs> so, I have nicknames in my real life, but. It's not easy to turn my last name into short name, I guess. So, so I don't have experience of getting used to that. So maybe that's why I feel the sort of like ugh about it. I would prefer to just go by tomato, but maybe that's, maybe I'm not a hockey bro at heart. You know, maybe that's my, like, that's my failing. That's not hockey's failing. I feel like if we learned anything from Check Please, it's, it's better not to be a hockey bro at heart or at all. So despite this formula that we're given, the uh, notable nicknames that the comic quotes are not following this formula at all. So the great one is Wayne Gretzky. Super Mario is Mario Lemieux. And then Mr. Hockey is Gordy Howe. Yes, that's right. Gordy Howe, who actually had the longest hockey career ever, 1946 to 1980. That's bananas. Fucking insane. And he played most of his most of his career with the Detroit Red Wings. And he is the namesake of what is called a Gordy Howe hat trick, which is to have a goal, an assist, and a fight in the same game. I cannot overstate how like important and uh, meaningful the legacy of Gordie Howe is to hockey. But I think, I don't know, hanging around hockey fandom and Chuck Please fandom in like current fandom spaces, he doesn't come off as much as uh, Gretzky and Lemieux. I wonder how much of that is just hockey RPF interests, again, kind of aligning. Do you know what I mean? I'd also like to let you know, if you ever go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and go to the uh, Heinz History Center, and go to the part of the Heinz History Center that is called the Western Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame, there is a giant wax figure of Mario Lemieux. And uh, it is really, I think, worth going to Pittsburgh to see. It's a fun place to spend about 36 hours. The fucking penguins are 
everywhere. Good luck walking down a street that doesn't have some like fucking like Sidney Crosby's face graffiti. You go into bars and they're like plastered with pen stuff. You like go into grocery stores and they're like plastered with pen stuff. It's like you walk down the strip, the kind of touristy old school drag pens and stealer shit and pirate shit just like dripping everywhere. It's a lot. But I will go there with you to see Mario Olivia's wax face. Yeah, that's right. You got to take the Pennsylvanian from Penn Station to uh, Pittsburgh. Reel it in. Uh, We've got some fourth wall breaking in this strip. I like how I said reel it in as if like I had caused spilling out of the podcast. They tell you that you can make your own nickname at the end of this comic. So they're sort of, again, referring to the fact that like they're in a comic or they're narrating a comic. And then there's also this gag, which just continue in, in later strips of Jack thinking that they're like filming something or kind of being like, what's going on here? He doesn't quite realize that it's this audience-facing meta-activity. Of the characters who break the fourth wall, we've obviously got Biddy, who is constantly breaking the fourth wall, but he's doing it in a way which doesn't fully break the fourth wall. But because he's doing it in the, the guise of a vlog, he's not really breaking the fourth wall, right? Like, we're being addressed as the audience, but we're being treated as an audience within the world. Ransom and Holster frequently break the fourth wall in these sorts of strips. John Johnson breaks the fourth wall. Shitty's responding to Ransom and Holster, but he's not responding in a weird way to the fourth wall breaking. Jack, like, can't get on the same wavelength as the other characters, and I think that's really interesting considering how much we've been talking in the past few strips about how he's not integrated with the team. And I think it's interesting that it shows up even here, where he, like, can't quite figure out what's going on, and he also can't with it. He has to comment on it. You said when you were looking at the page that had all of the main cast's nicknames on it, you said it's either Ransom or Holster who is narrating. It's Holster. And you can tell because the speech bubble emanates out of his Oh, you're right. It's a little subtle. So when you get to the end and he says, Jack doesn't have one because he's lame. It's Holster who, yes, thinks Jack is lame. And then when Jack says, are you guys blah, blah, blah? He again says, lame. I like that little bit of interplay, but I also like that it's grounded in the fact that Jack doesn't get it. I remember thinking at one point that it wasn't in the text of the comic that Holster doesn't like Jack. I remember only seeing it as like an extra on the Patreon blog, but I'm now delighted to see that it is subtly in this panel that Holster doesn't like Jack. Spoiler, Jack and Biddy get engaged. And in the blog post on that comic, it's Jack getting very serious about the hockey game that they're playing post-proposal. And Holster is just saying, Biddy, can you tell Mr. Biddy to chill? Which is funny, but it's also just like, yeah, no, consistently through to the very end of the comic, Holster is just like not charmed by Jack. He's just like, oh, okay. There's two posts about it. They're both on the Overtime blog. I think the URL of that blog is samwelluniversity.tumblr.com. If you go onto her Patreon and just kind of dig through the update, whatever the last password to that blog was will still be on there. And then you can get in and just like read the whole archive, assuming it's not been deleted since I last looked at it a couple months ago. Do you have any feelings about these drunk Canadian scientists? 
I really don't. This is the kind of gag that I do tend to enjoy because I love stupid media. Not in this comic. Like, they're not really doing anything. It's sort of like a funny little gag. And then they make a Nazi joke, which I forgot happened and feel not great about. Of all things that you could create a joke about nicknames with, it's weird to me to treat really flippantly the shortening of National Socialist Party into Nazi. I understand that this is part of a sight gag that's coming out of a tradition of like nuclear scientists, but I think even then there are other things that could be joked about. So I don't know. I just feel kind of confused. I feel like confused about it as a choice. I don't think it's that funny. It's interesting to me that it's come up twice in like a couple strips. I didn't remember this one. I don't personally mind when people call somebody like a blank Nazi, like a grammar Nazi or a hockey Nazi or whatever, for whatever reason, like it doesn't hurt me. And for the record, I am of the persuasion of people who in theory, would be hurt by that. It's interesting that it, like, crops up twice, especially given that there is this kind of pushback on, like, you should not make jokes about Nazis. Not to drag our asses into this again, as you may or may not have heard, my other fandom is South Park, which is a fandom where one of the main characters idealizes Nazis and is constantly spouting anti-Semitic bullshit. One thing that you learn when you put an ear out for what constitutes anti-Semitism is that of a lot of the things that have become way more like culturally sensitive, anti-Semitism is just like not taken that seriously. It's something that everybody still sort of passively tolerates or just sort of like tacitly agrees that like it's just an okay source of humor. Making, making jokes about Nazis is just like kind of funny. Whereas if you make fun of, say, something like Native American genocide, it's not funny anymore. I guess I'm kind of caught up in this too. Like I said, for whatever reason, it just kind of doesn't like personally bother me. But I do think it's interesting to think about. Of all the examples, why this one? That's what I get stuck on. But I just feel really confused why in this lighthearted moment this seems appropriate. I think it has to do with the sort of casual assumption that anti-Semitism is over or something, which is certainly something that I have seen people assume. I think that that is less true in 2020 than it was in 2014 when this strip was made because the I world's different. I agree with that. I think you're right about that. I think that there's something about Nazis as cartoonish, cartoonishly evil. Not that they were, but that that is a way that they have been treated in media. At the time, Nazis were cartoonish as well. Like, if you remember Charlie Chaplin making fun of Hitler and just the general idea of, like, these funny-looking people goose-stepping in, like, tight, bizarrely regimented uniforms squawking in German, which is like a language that English-speaking people think is nuts. I remember reading Christopher Isherwood's memoir, 
Christopher and His Kind, which is something he wrote in the 1970s. Obviously, he wrote a lot about his time in Berlin in the Berlin stories, which got made into seven things that eventually became cabaret and like so on and so forth. But this was a point at which he was able to, at the end of his life, go back and write more honestly about his time in Germany as an older man who wasn't afraid of coming across as gay. Because the thing with a lot of like cabaret and the many iterations leading up to it was that it was autofiction, your favorite thing, but he wasn't able to be entirely honest about what he was up to in Berlin at the time. He reports in the 1970s that in the 1930s, the sort of artsy, liberated set that he was hanging out with thought the Nazis were a joke, not a very potent political movement. And they thought Hitler was like aesthetically ridiculous. And they thought the entire thing was like funny. And that was part of why they didn't take it seriously because they were ridiculous. They were ridiculous in like a theater of the ridiculous sense. That was ultimately, I think, part of their power. Yeah, that's carried into like comedy ever since. And, you know, I think jokes about Nazis can be funny. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like a theater of the ridiculous proposition. Autofiction is not my favorite thing. It's just something I've been forced to theorize a lot about. But I actually, it's not my preferred genre. Okay, thank you. You want to know what, though? There is a huge amount of, like, gay fiction that is autofiction. Have you ever thought about that? I have thought about that. That's one of the few things that makes it interesting. Yeah, so Shitty's nickname. Well, now we know what it's a nickname for. It's not going to be revealed in the comic at any point. There are a few more jokes about it, like where people make jokes about not knowing what Shitty's name is. Should we spoil it? I think we should. So his first name is Byron. And his middle name is Sterling. So his initials are BS, from which you get shitty. So it also breaks the formula as given by Ransom and Holster in this strip. What a bad name. Oh my God. Can you imagine being at fucking Andover with the name Byron Sterling? I feel like the worst part of it would probably be like there are multiple Byron Sterlings in your class at Andover. What do you think he went by when he was a child? He would not be able to get away with calling someone shitty like in the school hall at fucking Andover. I don't know. I've never been in the hallway at Andover. Just going to be upfront about that. So I have worked with people who are familiar and it seems miserable. Anyway, this is like not interesting um, unless you're interested in New England prep boarding schools, which nobody is. So this anyway, comic kind of is. I guess that's true because we have we have two characters who go to Andover. But you want to know what they're like the two coolest characters, like the two hippest characters went to Andover. I guess that's true. I never thought about that. That's so strange to me, actually. Well, okay. Shitty nickname. It's shitty. It rhymes with bitty. That's awkward. And you never actually find it out in the text of the comic. So, okay. Is it a long story? Yeah, it's actually not that long. It's not. It's not hard to understand at all. Yeah, so Jack doesn't have a nickname. He's lame. He doesn't have a nickname. Why doesn't Jack have a nickname? For narrative reasons that we will eventually find out, he does at some point have a nickname. And I think there's something poignant about the fact that he had one and lost it when he lost everything, including, you know, his like potential first draft spot, which we don't know about yet. But we know that he lost everything because of that panel of the hockey prints. There's something kind of poignant about the fact that he doesn't have one now. I think it's because he's an asshole. 
to be honest with you. And I think that people just haven't given him a nickname because they're like, what the fuck are we going to call this guy? And what if he doesn't like it and he yells at us? Like, no, thanks. I'll just call him Jack. They could call him Manzo. That's already taken by Laura Laura Ingalls Wilder's very important husband in the four golden years. (laughs) So shitty vetoes it. He's like, this is an important text. We can't give that name to Jack. All right. So first of all, yes, he had a nickname and he lost it. That said, we only we we don't know how many people called him that nickname ever. We don't know if it was like a team wide thing. And from what we later learned from our silhouette with a cowlick, Jack is the person who sort of distanced himself from that nickname. It's not like it was forcibly removed because he was cast out of like the nickname kingdom. He chose to sever his relationship with the one person we know who called him that. But then later, when he gets onto an NHL team, he gets another nickname, which is much worse, and I hate it. I think I blocked that nickname out, because until you said that, I completely forgot that that happened. (laughs) How could you forget? How could you forget about Dear Zimboni? Oh, God. I hate it. It's fine. It's terrible. Like, it's not clever. It's not good. Ugh. Ugh. Do you think he ever calls him that in the bedroom because he's trying to make a boner pun, but he, like, doesn't, it doesn't work? It's not sexy. And Jack, like, just can't keep it up. But somebody calls him, like, Zim Boner. Hey, let me see your Zim Boner. Yeah, exactly. And Jack is like, sorry, I'm on antidepressants. I can't get one. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Wow, that was that was a nice little world I lived in for a second. Okay, that's the only reason that that, that nickname might be all right. Other than that, I hate it. Even though this kind of dopey, like, not on the same page culturally with everybody else attitude is something that we see from Jack over and over again in the comic, this is really the first time that we see him like not being a dick. So the fact that he's not with the program here and just kind of like what's going on is very different and kind of a contrast to what we've seen up to this point. That's true. You know, I didn't even think about that, which is interesting because I've been kind of obsessing over how much of a dick he is in the first few instances we see him. I think there's something also kind of interesting in having these dudes all like lined up. Okay, so they're clearly not actually posing in front of different backgrounds, right? This is sort of like an artistic thing. I'm curious that we still see them kind of in relationship to each other in terms of height and like body language and that Biddy is still so much smaller than everyone else. There's no reason that that would have to be the case that the camera, quote unquote, could come from any angle, right? So that's kind of interesting. And then the fact that Jack is like, what is he looking at? That's what I want to know. Is he like, he's not really looking. Okay, well, one eye is sort of looking out (laughs) of the fourth wall. Then the other eye isn't. And I want to know, like, where do you think he's looking? I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is something that the artist uh, necessarily thought through. I think it's just like... I don't know, there's a camera being shoved in his face or he's walking into the room and he's like looking around the room, like what's going on in the room. These comics exist kind of outside of time and space, or at least they're loosened from the conceptual space and the conceptual time that the rest of the comic exists in. Like they go back to 1944 
in the panel before that one. And then they're at an NBA game. So you're not supposed to think about it this deeply, which by the way, isn't me saying, let's not think about it this deeply or how could you think about it this deeply? I think I'm just acknowledging like, you know, a lot of this really only works if you just kind of read it and you're like, oh, it was entertaining. Last episode, we talked about things being amusing or entertaining. And it's like, yeah, it's like working on that level. If you start to think about it too much, it doesn't really hold together, does it? But everything is greater than the sum of its parts in terms of how it functions as a whole. And yeah, it's just kind of like a, you know, amusing couple panel comic that is cute to read. And maybe you get some insight into what hockey nicknames are if you're too fucking stupid to figure it out. And uh, that's it. That's the comic. I don't think there's anything wrong with reading into things either. I think that that's like one of the joys of reading something is diving really deep into things, even if they aren't meant to be dived into. And in fact, I personally get more pleasure typically out of things that aren't necessarily supposed to be looked closely at than like really self-referential, deep, obsessive works where you're supposed to dive in. Not that that can't be fun, but you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with just having a piece of media be entertaining either. I think that's fine. What I'm kind of curious about is how this again, relates to the later... So my my experience in Check, Please! fandom, I'll try not to go too off topic, has long been one of being told, don't look that deeply, you are thinking too much about it, or you don't get it. Like, you haven't thought enough about it. And that's been like a really interesting tension at different times of the comic when I've had reactions that are not the reaction that I am, like, I guess, quote-unquote, supposed to have, or like, that are maybe a little different than other people's reactions or, or whatever. Yeah, I think if you look too deeply at this comic, it, it, it like doesn't really make logical sense. It just kind of makes associative or entertainment sense, and that's totally fine. But then that's a lack of consistency in the text. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Not all texts are consistent, especially not episodic webcomics. But I think it's worth noting. I think it's worth noting that not every comic is like equal here in terms of how we're supposed to read it. I share your experience of feeling like I have either been the subject of or privy to a lot of arguments that basically culminate in either your overreading or your misreading. So I think that's something that happens a lot with this particular comic. I think people who end up in the fandom for this comic really just aren't interested in reading that deeply into it. Do I think this particular strip about hockey nicknames is where I would like to expend most of that energy? No, I think we're basically sort of really juicing everything we can out of this rock. But... um, (laughs) Really, really bleeding the stone that is hockey nicknames. But like, it's a cute, fun diversion. It's a bridge between a couple of really heavy comics that are very plot driven and a few more comics where we see our first sort of hockey play and we meet a bunch of parent characters and we get some pretty intense arcs coming through the end of the year starting now so this is like a kind of breather in terms of the alternating sitcom-y like slice of life kind of jokey stuff 
that Ngozi has said she likes to relegate to the extras and the plot. I've been thinking about this as we've gone through and how, because when I went to go find the text, I went to the episode page on the Tumblr and realized, of course, oh yeah, the hockey comics are not on the episode page. We've talked about that before. And I'm thinking again about what how my experience of like the previous strip and the upcoming strips would be without this comic if it were relegated to the end. And I think it would be worse off. I actually think the breathing space is great. Um, it's something I had fun with. Well, this is where we're getting the character cohesion and the team bonding and the culture stuff. Like, think about the previous comic, Checking Clinic, which is, like, intense. We had Assist, which has some culture, but it's mostly just Biddy talking to a camera. We had Hockey Prince and Bad Bob Zimmerman before that. Like, you know, this is where people are getting their feeling for Check Please as a world with characters who are friends with each other and they're all kind of goofy and having a nice time playing college hockey. So I think a lot of the culture of Check Please comes out of this extra material and not so much like the story strip. Yeah, I would be really curious to ask Ngozi about how she envisioned it. Um, I'll never get the chance, I'm sure. Uh, Let's just go to a con and buy a $20 book and be like, hey, what do you think? And she'll be like, um... I don't know much about basketball, but this line, Nasher, Cobesy's open. Kobe Bryant, obviously, is Cobesy. And then my guess, which I think is correct, is that Nasher is a reference to a player named Steve Nash. Both of these players were on the Lakers at the same time, at the time when this comic was being written and posted. And they were both kind of at the end of their playing careers and considered like true greats at this point. So I'm pretty sure that's who that's referring to. Point of clarification, I don't think it's any deeper than that. It's just another sport. The phrase, some fucking punk-ass pussy bullshit. I feel so interested in revisiting this. I have no opinions about basketball, and I have no opinions about basketball showing up in this. I, too, think it's just another sport. But I'm really interested in punk-ass and pussy as they show up in this particular strip. When, again, I think about sort of like what's coming and the arc that's about to happen, which has to do with sexuality. And punk ass and pussy, in this particular case, are clearly sexuality slash gender-driven derogatory terms. Yeah, they are. I mean, people use them casually, and I'm not bothered by their use here. But I think it's interesting to just sort of make a note of how tonally different and possibly even more tonally appropriate to hockey the comic was when it was not what it becomes by the beginning of year three. When we get to the end of the comic, and we get to that comic where Biddy is called the F word, the way that that's portrayed is very, very heavy. That is a rich text, my friends. Oh, I'm excited when we get there in like a year and a half or whatever it is that it is that we'll be looking at it. Before that moment, there are references to the fact that Biddy has been getting insults on the ice. And they are presumably sexuality slash gender driven insults as well because of the context in which we see it. They're very euphemistic. We don't actually like really experience the linguistic violence. Whereas here it's very casually tossed out. I mean, punk ass pussy bullshit is not without, it doesn't bother me either. It doesn't hurt me to see this language, but 
that language has a certain political power behind it, right? And it's like very interesting to me that that language is so casually tossed off here and then only hinted at when it's actually being used against our protagonist. And I don't know whether it's because this language isn't being used against anyone specific. It's just kind of being like, well, it would be seen as sort of unmanly or whatever to have these nicknames in other sports or whether it's just because the tone changed so drastically. I don't know. Important to remember that even though these words are being put into the mouths of like two bros, the person who is putting them there is a woman who is the controlling force behind this comic. I think she probably didn't think about this nearly as much as we are. A lot of what ends up in this comic that we're thinking about or possibly even critiquing here is not ending up there because it's like a specifically held belief or a particular charge that the author is trying to put in. It's just part of systemic oppression is the way that language filters down into casual conversation. And yeah, you know, you probably don't think about calling something Nazi or saying the word pussy because this is part of everyday conversation and we've all been conditioned to just use these terms uncritically without really placing them. And to be honest, if we tried to place them and tried to be critical about our own word choices every single time we spoke, we'd go fucking insane. So again, I'm not saying like, cancel check please, the word pussy is here. It's just just worth sort of questioning how this language is ending up here and when does it leave the comic and what does that coincide with? So open question, keep it on the books. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think that Ngozi is saying this is how people should talk, but I think it's really interesting that this is a more accurate reflection of what I have heard from like various sports bros than later in the comic. Oh yeah, it goes without saying, like, absolutely the kind of person Ransom is would say these words. But then a later version of Ransom doesn't. And I just think it's worth, like, thinking about. Well, at a certain point, he just basically stops being in the comic and then he doesn't say anything. So, you know. He's off being a consultant and good for him, I guess. That's right. Anything else you want to throw in about nicknames? Nothing smart. Well, I think that's probably because there's just not that much to comment on in this particular strip. So I think I'm okay. I think we can uh, leave it there, really. Thank you for saving me from myself and not letting me talk about Michel Foucault's The Order of Things. I need that in my life, and I appreciate it. Yeah, but then I talked about Christopher Isherwood. So (laughs) if you want to say a couple things about Foucault at the end of the podcast... No, it's not interesting to anyone but me. Anyway, you can find me if you really want to know my thoughts on Michel Foucault's The Order of Things, which I did find to be a mind-blowing text when I read it last year. Come give me an ask on my Tumblr at tomatorights.tumblr.com. I am Camillier, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R on Tumblr. Please don't talk to me about Foucault. I'm open to all sorts of things, but just let's keep it off my blog, please. Keep the, keep the critical theory off my blog. I'm also willing to talk about Michel Foucault's like time in bathhouses in the 70s. It doesn't have to be all critical theory for the record. Oh, people are very much welcome to like get in touch with me about that. Yes, he loved fisting. He, he loved it. He did. It's true. It's one of my favorite facts about Foucault.
Yeah, man, you know, it's like one of these guys who you read his work and you're just like, kill me. And then you hear that he was into fixing and you were like, oh, I guess this, he can hang. <laughs> yeah, that feels about right. Um, where are we going next time on Check This Pleased? We're going to 1.9 Family Weekend. Are you excited? I think I am excited. I haven't revisited this comic in quite a while. It's one I remember being intrigued by. Guys, we're about to bump our female character count up to one. Check displeased.tumblr.com and on Podbean and Spotify. Thanks for, thanks for hanging. We'll see you next time for Family Weekend. Bye! Bye!